Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætte af alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 1, and welcome back to this revival of the History of Anglo-Saxon England podcast. This is a new series, Series 2, The Anglo-Saxons, Land, Lordship and People. Now look, I'm not going to lie to you all, I miss you. Since I last published into this series on the 29th of January 2017, I have missed you and although hopefully you immediately transferred across the History of England since I never meant this to be a permanent fixture... I was simply putting right the wrongs of the past to improve my first go at early Anglo-Saxon England, which I'd done way back in 2010 and 2011. However, if it is true that I have missed you, I have doubly missed the Anglo-Saxons. And so as I sat alone, but not lonely, in my shed, I conceived the idea of reviving the history of Anglo-Saxon England for a short run, a limited edition. So this is not intended to be permanent. This is intended to be the addition with the go-faster stripes. Although it has to be said, I have proved spectacularly unsuccessful at predicting my future, so never say never. But, look, I have a specific project in mind, and I imagine it will take a few months. Let me explain, as the pilot said at the end of his shift. That, by the way, is what a Swifty used to be before Taylor came along. You may be aware that since 2016 I have made my living by podcasting based on some very, very lovely and generous people who are lovely enough to become members of the History of England podcast. In return for their hospitality and on the principle of reciprocity, I provide them with regular feasts, the universally acclaimed shedcasts, famed throughout southeast Oxfordshire. I provide about 90 minutes of fresh and, though I say so myself, frankly thrilling material every month. If you want to be a member, by the way, do go to the historyofengland.co.uk forward slash become a member. It's as cheap as chips and I will love you forever. 
But that's not why I'm telling you all of this. I'm telling you all of this because one of the Shedcast series I did was on Anglo-Saxon England. It was called Life and Landscape in Anglo-Saxon England, and I did love it so when I published it in 2017. For the first shout-out of this introduction, there are two. I had started a course at the Continuing Education Department at Oxford University, a truly inspirational institution with a load of lovely courses on and offline. Look them up. Continuing Education, Oxford University. The things I found out about the lives of the Anglo-Saxons and the way they shaped and were shaped by their environment wowed me, I have to say. I was, well, I mean, just wowed me. So I did a series for members based on that. It then occurred to me that my honourable members have had six years' exclusive access and that some new stuff has been published and maybe now they wouldn't mind if I both buffed the series a bit and also made it generally available now to everyone out there. So that is what I'm doing, re-recorded and tweaked a little bit, 20% maybe. I hope you will not mind members, and thank you, because you basically funded this. If you are a member, beware there is probably not a massive amount here new for you, though there is a bit. I think you'll recognise 80% of it. Just want to manage the expectations is all. Also for non-members and also anyone new to the feed as a whole, the feed probably looks a bit odd because there are just a few politically-oriented podcasts taking you up to Athelstan and then stopping. I've called those Series 1 to try and make a difference between this new series and the old ones. Basically, Series 1 was about political history, putting right the wrongs of the past. So for political history, don't bother with that. Hop across to the History of England Series 1 and listen to it all there. That's the latest version. This new series, then, is probably not all that I will do in the Great Podcast Revival. I do have some shorter episodes in mind, something about the later Anglo-Saxon state. I'm hoping a special guest will join me. And I recently did an episode on Rendlesham, and maybe the Shedcast I did on Seasons. Maybe other things will occur to me. Don't count on it. But although Bilbo's Road goes ever, ever on over rock and under tree, by caves where never sun has shone, by streams... They never find the sea. This podcast series probably won't do so because I have to stick to the knitting, which is the history of England and the member shedcasts, and there's only one of me. But there are further episodes in this series in addition to this one, and I imagine I will put them out every couple of weeks. So that's what, four lunar months or so, and maybe more if I rustle up any new stuff. Anyway, when I've had enough, I'll let you all know. What is this series then? Essentially, I'm indulging myself by returning to the Anglo-Saxons, who I do love so, as I may have mentioned. Due to the positive effects of civilization, I am rising higher than the base layer of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food, heat, light and Wi-Fi, and rising to the Anglo-Saxons. And I hope you enjoy my self-indulgence also. But there are a few things. First and foremost, back in the days of the originals, even the reruns, there's a lot of focus on kings, battles and politics in the Anglo-Saxon England series, the great game as it were. And now I'd like to focus on how people lived and how society worked. Secondly, I need to do my second shout out to Marie Hilda. I met Marie through Facebook because she runs a truly excellent group called Anglo-Saxon History and Language. Do look it up. She and her members do some excellent and very thorough and fascinating posts on the whole subject. Also, Marie mentioned that a historian called Rosamond Faith had published a new book in 2019 called The Moral Economy of the Countryside, Anglo-Saxons to Anglo-Norman England. 
Rosamund Fay's book on the English peasantry and the rise of lordship is in my top five history books of all time, okay? Top five history books of all time, and one of the reasons I wrote the original series. So, reading the new book seemed a perfect way to take a fresh look and do some buffing. So, that's Marie Hilder's Facebook group, Anglo-Saxon History and Language. On the series then, I look, I tried to think of a sexier title but failed and ended up with Land, Lordship and People because it's quite broad. Essentially, it's about the rural society of Anglo-Saxon England, how people lived, how people changed, how lordship changed the nature of society. It's about rights, responsibilities, relationships, that sort of thing. It's not about daily lives in the sense of how to make Anglo-Saxon buns or culture in the sense of illustrated manuscripts. But it is about the sinews of society making a living, the culture of how people interacted with each other. It has four themes. The two originals are these. I want to talk about the lives of the peasantry through the Anglo-Saxon centuries, 6th to 11th centuries, how the society and its economy they lived in worked, how it changed before the Normans arrived on their booze cruise. Second theme is the one that really floated my boat about how those centuries shaped so much of the English landscape we still see around us. And some very clever people have learned how to read some of those pages and so connect us with the lives of our very distant ancestors and understand their daily lives, the people who don't get written up in the records. I can imagine almost nothing more exciting except possibly winning the World Cup or the Tigers winning the Premiership League again. And those are distant prospects. A lot of what you see around you in the countryside in particular was fundamentally shaped by the Anglo-Saxons. So as you travel around, I hope that some of this will help you understand that world the ridge and furrow, the enclosure hedge, simple stuff like that. And I thought I could also scratch another itch, my love of local history, by relating the whole thing to the landscape I now live in of South Oxfordshire. And there are lots of pictures to help you with that. Third, then, is the addition of Rosamond's theme to how Anglo-Saxon society work, which means I need to introduce unto you the concept of the moral economy. This is a nasty and obscure phase, moral economy. Every time I hear it, my mind sort of goes blank. Or that's the way it has always seemed to me anyway. The moral economy was a phrase invented by a very famous Marxist and quite grumpy historian called E.P. Thompson. He was looking at 18th century grain riots, as it happens, during the rise of the new ideas of political economy and the utilitarians. That the market would produce the greatest benefit for everyone so nobody needs to worry anymore. What Thomson found was that ordinary people had a deep belief that this was not the way the world did, could or should work. They accepted the idea of ranks and inequalities in society right enough, but believed that there was a set of rules, customs, laws effectively which governed the ways those different ranks should behave, that treated all people with dignity and honour, social responsibilities that made society fair despite the inequalities. He found that it was this set of beliefs that generated those food riots. The rioters felt cheated. They felt that food was unavailable, not because of market forces or all that stuff, that sort of stuff, but because the gentry were not living up to their obligations to protect their dependents. They were not living up to their responsibilities. It proved a powerful concept, and actually it applies to much more than 18th century England. It is plastered all over the Tudor commotion time, all those rebellions which produce a set of demands well and clearly articulated about what rules have been broken by the innovators, by Henry VIII. 
And it was that that led to rebellion. They clearly stated what needed to be done to restore them. These are conservative rebellions, not innovatory, radical ones. So if a moral economy underpins society, what are those rules? And what are the customs of fairness agreed by Anglo-Saxons? The call and response between rulers and ruled. Did they change? And crucially, do they change substantially with the arrival of the Normans? There is a full and frank healthy debate about that one. Some say that feudalism had already arrived by 1066 in Anglo-Saxon England, near as damn it. The Normans changed little fundamental, a bit of stone, few churches, that sort of thing. And the Norman yoke was not Norman, it was just the yoke of lordship. So that's theme four then. What did the Normans ever do for us? We can see what we think at the end. I am then in the unusually privileged position of having written the entire series for a start, which means I can give you a quick flyby of what to expect. The series, Land, Lordship and People, is on the Anglo-Saxon England podcast under series two. This introduction is series two, episode one. There are eight episodes to follow, each hanging in or around 40 minutes each. We start, for the sake of completeness, with the historiography debates and all that sort of stuff about the Adventus Saxonum, the Germanic settlements of the 5th and 6th centuries. This is the least changed from the original series or from the history of England. Think of it as a refresher. In episode 2, we then talk about those settlers, what were they like, and how they began to settle England in our corner of it. Then we move broadly chronologically. In episode 3, we investigate the transition from small tribal groups to larger political and economic social territories called the Shears. In episodes three and four, we look in more detail about the different ranks of peasant society, the lives they led, because something really interesting happens. We look in four at the increasingly constrained lives of some peasants and slaves that were the large inland estates of resident lords, well, mainly the church, to be honest. And then in five, we contrast that to the traditional Anglo-Saxon peasant if that be the right word, the churl, and their proud tradition of independence, freedom and public service. The word peasant, by the way, needs waves of caution, which I talk about in the right place. Just remember, peasant is not pejorative in Anglo-Saxon centuries, or at least churl is not pejorative. In episodes 2.7 and 2.8, 7 and 8, come the 9th and 10th centuries and a massive shock and a transformation. The Viking invasions help accelerate change and the landscape and society of the English is transformed with massive impacts on land and governance that will last for centuries and some of which are still visible now. The world of villages and estates, fields and hundreds, public justice. And then we come to episode 2.9 where I try to tie it all together in the light of the Normans. What did the Normans ever do for us? And did they really change anything fundamental or is it just scum on the surface? So that's the plan. Finally, and I'm sure you've been waiting for a send if you've not already left, could I also direct you to the website, thehistoryofengland.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash Anglo hyphen Saxon hyphen England. May just be better, to be honest, to go to thehistoryofengland.co.uk and find it from there. I'll signpost it. Anyway, at thehistoryofengland.co.uk forward slash podcast forward slash Anglo-Saxon England, I have a homepage for the series. And there you can see some great stuff. There's a bibliography and a table with a list of all the episodes and a brief description of what they're about. And then there is a link to a PDF. This is massive. 
And if you don't download and use it, you're fired. It's a whole load of pictures and maps to which I shall refer as we go through. So keep it by your side night and day when you're climbing, rubbing, clubbing, chatting somebody up, getting lucky, whatever. Make sure you have it for that quiet moment afterwards. There are also some links on the homepage to each episode page where you will find transcripts and maybe some extra resources if I can have time. Just in case you get a chance to have a look while you're ironing or running, but not when you're driving. Just don't do it, kids. Okay, so the Anglo-Saxon England revival is a go, gentle listeners, Lord, Landship and people. Do let me know what you think. Give me ideas for new topics if you'd like additional episodes in the Anglo-Saxon England podcast and strap yourself in. First of this revival is going to be a look once more at the settlement period, as I say, the theories that abound in what is quite a contentious period. And I will, of course, enjoy reading the words of the Mad Monk with such dramatic words, Gildas. Until next time then, gentle people, and happy readers. Until then, hasta mañana, baby, till we meet again. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skide af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lytte til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.